Please join me as I pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word given to us in the Bible. May your word do a mighty work in our lives this morning. May our hearts and ears be open to receive it. And may we go out of here knowing that your grace and mercy is sufficient for us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, most people think Christianity is all about following a bunch of rules. Ricky Gervais says this about the Bible. He says, the Bible isn't evidence. It's not even a history book. It's a rule book. And uh, that's what a lot of people think about the Bible, that's, that Christians are just following this book, following the rules set out in it. And I know for myself, that's exactly what I thought as I was growing up. I, my parents took me to church every Sunday. Uh, I was taught to read the Bible, taught to pray, uh, taught that I needed to be, you know, uh, not pushing my sister around, not lying. I remember sitting in kids' church each week, and I'd sit next to one of my mates, and the teacher would ask a question, uh, and my mate straight away would put his hand up and be like, yep, I know the answer to that. And I'd sit there going, man, I, I had no idea. Sometimes I'd just put my hand up, and the teacher would point my hand at it, and I'd be like, I don't know. So... Like, this led me to, I, I, I went home, I read my Bible more, I prayed more, I uh, started being nice to my sister, I tried not to lie, I tried harder and harder to follow what I thought were the rules. But you know, actually, this led me to just feeling exhausted and guilty, as I'd so often fail. I'd, you know, go weeks where I didn't read my Bible, weeks where I didn't pray. I, you know, still told the odd lie, I still wasn't nice to my sister all the time. I don't know if, if, you, this, if you've ever felt like this. You know, have you ever felt like, you know, you come to church week in, week out, and you just feel guilty or feel the, the pressure or that you haven't lived up to the expectations which you, you thought you should as a Christian? I thought, I haven't read my Bible. I haven't prayed. Or maybe even it's your first time here this morning. You're a guest. Even as you come to church, you have to feel that fear interpretation of going, oh, man, I haven't got my life together. I don't, I don't really know what I should be doing. You know, I haven't really followed the rules or expectations which the Bible or Christians think. Well, I want to say to you this morning, the Bible wants to say to you, Christianity is not about following rules. And that's the, that's the real tragedy of my childhood. I was blind to what the Bible is on about. Jesus did not come as a slave master you know, demanding us to follow all these rules. And today we're going to actually see what Jesus is on about. As we come face to face with Jesus, we're going to ask the question, what is the right response to him? If it isn't rules, what is the right response? That's why here at Sea on a Hill we keep coming back to the Bible every week because it's the best place to meet Jesus and to see what he's on about and see what is the right response to him. And over the past few weeks, that's what we've been doing, haven't we? We've been journeying through Matthew. We've been seeing who Jesus is. And what a glorious picture it's been, isn't it? That he's compassionate and caring for the broken, the hurting. But then we've also seen he is, you can't box Jesus. He's like out of any category. We, Jesus is the one who people have to give an account to. And last week, at the end of chapter 11, we saw this glorious invitation, didn't we? We just read it again there. It said, Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. This invitation is highlighting what Jesus has come to do. He hasn't come to demand people follow rules. He's come to liberate. 
He's come to care for those who are burdened and broken, those who are hurting, and he, he wants to give rest. And this isn't a, you know, a good night's sleep or a nice holiday. This is a rest for your soul. And so with that invitation ringing out ears to come to Jesus, what is the right response? And today, the main thing you need to walk out of here knowing is what Jesus is on about is that he is on about mercy and not rule-keeping. And once we see this, we're going to see, think about what that means for us to respond rightly to Jesus. If he's on about mercy and not following rules. So let's dive into the passage again. So let's read verses 1 to 2 of chapter 12. It says, At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. This is the, you know, Jesus and his disciples, like they would many times, they're walking through a field, uh, and they're hungry. So his disciples start to just pick some heads of grain. And then, quick as a flash, the, the Pharisees, the, the religious leaders of the day, say, that's wrong. You can't do that. These guys are like the kids in the classroom, aren't they? Who, you know, when one kid's doing the wrong thing, they shoot their hand up and say, Miss, sir, they're doing the wrong thing. I hope you notice that. That's, that's what the Pharisees are like here. These guys are so zealous for the law and doing what's right. And the central rule that they say is being broken here is related to the Sabbath. And what's the Sabbath? Well, the Sabbath was a day given to God's people in the Old Testament law. It was a massive deal. It was a day where they would take one day of rest out of seven and rest and remember God. Rest and remember the God who made them, who'd saved them, who was their God. The Sabbath was was a key marker of what it was to be a person of God. But the Pharisees here aren't just referring to that Sabbath law, the law given in the Old Testament. They're actually referring to laws written around that law. Uh, It's important to note the the Pharisees' zeal in that was coming from a good place. And even the laws written around the law, they were were written to help people get nowhere near even breaking the law. Kind of like a fence at a lookout. The fence is there to stop people falling off the edge and breaking their necks. The, the Pharisees and the religious leaders had set up all these boundaries, these fences, to stop people getting anywhere near breaking the law. But the problem was that these fences they put up became part of the law. By the time of Jesus, the religious leaders had written 39 separate behaviours which constituted work on the Sabbath. Things like tying a knot, things like lighting a candle, things like picking a head of grain... These things weren't written in the Old Testament law. So the Pharisees see the disciples picking these heads of grain and they go, that is wrong, that is against the law. But Jesus, like a good lawyer, he says, actually there's precedent for what's going on here. He justifies the disciples' action. He says, let's have a look at the Scriptures. All right, And he he says this in verses 3 to 4. He says, haven't you read what David and his companions did when they were hungry? David, this is referring to a story back in 1 Samuel where David and his companions are on the run from Saul. They enter the temple, they're hungry, they're in need, and they eat the bread that only the priests are allowed to eat. But the Bible never says these guys have done anything wrong. It says they're innocent, they haven't broken the law. What's, what's going on here? What's Jesus getting at? 
Well, Jesus uses the example of David specifically. He uses it because although David isn't a priest, he's not any ordinary Joe Israelite. David was God's anointed king. David was the one chosen to rule over God's people. He was called God's son. So if Scripture's saying David is innocent when he's technically broken the law, how much more Jesus and his companions? Because Jesus is God's promised king. Jesus is God's true son. Jesus is greater than David. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He says, actually, there's more in the Bible that can help for this situation. He actually refers to the law itself. He says, haven't you read in the law? And this is like, you know, poking fun almost at the Pharisees. Haven't you read in the law? Of course they've read it in the law. And he says that, on, that the priests on the Sabbath duty in the temple desecrate the Sabbath and yet are innocent. What's going on there? In effect, Jesus is saying even the law says there's things that are unlawful to do. The priests on the day of the Sabbath are working in the temple. In effect, Jesus is saying there's, there's things that are unlawful to do on the Sabbath. It's written into the law itself. But God says these guys are innocent. But again, this isn't any old situation Jesus has spoken of here. Jesus has spoken about the temple, the heart of the Israelite faith. The place where, they, where God dwelt amongst his people, where sins were atoned for. So Jesus is saying, if the Sabbath laws can be broken in relation to the temple, it's like Jesus is saying, the temple is greater than the Sabbath. But then, look at these words in verse 6. This is, this is just a mic drop moment. He says, but something greater than the temple is here. I don't think we can fully comprehend Jesus' words here because we, we don't fully understand how central and big a deal the temple was to God's people. It'd be like, like me saying uh, something greater than the All Blacks is here. That'd, that'd be outrageous to say. Jesus is making the point here that a whole new order of things, a whole new reality is breaking through before their very eyes. Jesus is saying, I am greater than the temple. And we see this kind of even confirmed later in our passage in verses 18 to 21 where the words of Isaiah are picked up and said they're pointing to Jesus. Words spoken 500 years ago are pointing to Jesus and this reality that he's going to bring. How is he greater than the temple? What's the reality like that Jesus is bringing? Well, we see in, in verses 18, Jesus has the very Spirit of God on him. He's the one God delights in. He is the very presence of God in the flesh. You don't have to go to a building, you can come to Jesus. But then verses 19 to 20 show us kind of what kind of king Jesus is, what kind of kingdom that he's going to bring, and it's a beautiful image, isn't it? He isn't loud or proud but he's tender and humble. The, the pictures there of a, a bruised reed he will not break, a smoldering wick he will not stuff out. Jesus has, hasn't come to burden people down, but he's come to care and show compassion for those who are all, almost broken, those who are almost on the verge of giving up. And 21 says, in his name, in Jesus' name, the nations will put their hope. See, in Jesus, the very rule and reign of God is at hand. 
In Jesus, the very presence of God has come. And so then, if in the old order the Sabbath laws could be broken in relation to the temple, how much more can they be broken in this new order? If Jesus, God, is in their midst. See, in Jesus' response, in his defense of the disciples, he's not just unpacking their misunderstanding about the Sabbath. He's unpacking their whole understanding, their whole reading of the Bible. He's questioning their whole meaning of what it means to be in relationship with God. Jesus said it's always, it's always been bigger than obedience to the law. He's questioning what God has always required of his people. And he shows this in verse 7. What has the correct response always been? Well, he says, If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. Jesus here quotes from Hosea. He says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. You see, in Hosea's day, the people had been the same as the Pharisees. In Hosea's day, they went to the temple, they prayed, they went through all the motions, thinking, God is pleased with us, doing all these things. But their hearts had no love of God. They didn't come to God knowing they were dependent on His mercy alone. They didn't come to God knowing they could bring nothing to God except lean on His mercy. The Pharisees had completely missed the right way to respond to God. God says, I desire your love. I desire your hearts, your affections. I desire you to come to me for my mercy knowing there's nothing you can give to me. He doesn't desire obligations and duty. He desires their devotion and their hearts. See, God doesn't care if you get all the little things right but miss the big thing of coming to Jesus for his mercy. Coming to Jesus and surrendering your life to him. Coming to Jesus knowing he is the only way to God. I was thinking about this kind of rule-keeping kind of mentality in relation to being a parent. Uh, I was thinking about my two daughters, and if all I ever did to Eva, mainly Eva at the moment, she would understand it better than my six-month-year-old, but if all I ever did to Eva was say, Eva, you need to pick up your clothes. Eva, you haven't uh, put the dish in the dishwasher. Eva, you need to stop pushing your sister around. If all I ever did was that and just be on her case about these little petty rules, she might start to think, oh, Daddy, Daddy only loves me, only accepts me because I follow the rules, not because my love is there for her all the time. And that's, that's kind of like God. God just wants us to humbly turn to him and receive his mercy. To come to him and accept his reign over our lives. He wants us to come, especially when we make mistakes. Especially when we feel inadequate or a failure or guilty. Because Jesus is on about mercy. Jesus' kingdom is one of grace and acceptance. It's one of compassion. Jesus has come not based on anything you have to do. And this this heart of Jesus, this heart of mercy and grace, is even seen in this next scene of the story, the the scene that we saw acted out up here. In verses 9 to 10, Jesus goes into the synagogue. And straight away, he sees a man with a shriveled hand. 
And the Pharisees are there again, and they say, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? This shows their heart, doesn't it? All they care about is the law and the rules and and ticking the box. They don't care at all about that man and his situation and the hurt and the pain that he's in. And that's, that's the problem with people who are honoured just about rule-keeping or kind of a, a ticker-box Christianity. They know nothing of the genuine love of God. They know nothing of the grace and mercy of God that is there for all. So in response, Jesus calls them out. He says, where's your heart at? How warped is your heart? You would pick up your sheep out of a pit on the Sabbath, but you don't care about this man. Jesus is is kind of underlining the point here that the Sabbath was never meant as a barrier, never meant as a barrier to stop people showing care and compassion for others. And Jesus shows this by healing the man's hand. You see, Jesus is on about mercy, mercy for everyone, and not rule-keeping. So what's the right response to Jesus? Well, the Pharisees... The Pharisees respond by wanting to kill him. They're offended by Jesus' mercy and grace. They can't handle that mercy and grace of Jesus. But I wonder, what about us? I wonder, as we, as we sit here, as we so often hear about the Pharisees, it's very easy to look down on them and judge them and go, man, they got it so wrong. I know Christianity isn't about keeping rules. I know it's about grace and coming to Jesus dependent on his mercy. But I wonder, maybe we hear this, we know it in our heads, but day by day, even week by week, do we live out kind of a, a rule-keeping kind of Christianity? Maybe a, a good question we need to ask is, why do so many people in society, why do our friends and family think Christianity is just about rule-keeping? What is it that we're you know, showing to them? Maybe is it when issues come up in the media, Or even in conversations with our friends, we respond with failure rather than forgiveness. Respond by going, man, society got it wrong again. They haven't lived up to God's way. How wrong they are. Or do we respond by saying, mercy and forgiveness is there and available. Do we respond by saying, I know society is broken. People are hurting. They need the mercy and grace of Jesus. All they need to do is come to him. I know for myself, I can so easily slip into kind of a a rule-keeping or a ticker-box kind of Christianity. I know my personality likes to just tick things off. I know, you know, I like to be able to say, yep, I've done my Bible reading, I've prayed, I've served, I've fulfilled my obligation. Thinking, you know, that, that somehow pleases God. How might, how, might, how might we see this rule-keeping play out, maybe in our day-to-day? Well, how, number one, like, how do you think about sin in your life? Do you think about it just as right and wrong? That it's just black and right? That I've, that I've done the wrong thing again? If that's the case, I think, you know, you, you might just have the feeling of uh, guilt, anxiety, knowing you haven't lived up to some standard. Whereas Jesus says, keep coming to me. Come to me for my mercy. Keep coming back to me. 
My grace is there for you, and it's not dependent on what you do. It's not dependent on your performance. And Jesus says, I want to transform you and help you put sin to death, so keep coming to me. Number two, maybe how else might we see it playing out? Do you, do you have a greater concern for outward appearance over maybe inward devotion? By that I mean, do you, do you seek to look like you're doing all the right things? You know, you're going to church, reading your Bible, going to community groups, serving, but actually you're just ticking the boxes. Just ticking the boxes thinking, God is pleased with what I do. Rather than coming to him because you love him, because you're devoted to him, because your whole life is centered around his mercy and grace, which has been poured out in your life. And maybe thirdly, do you actually have a love for others? The Pharisees' rule-keeping showed in their lack of love for others. And I know this is an, this is an area that I've been challenged in. Over the, the past few months, I've been reading a book called The Gospel Comes with a House Key. And uh, it's by Rosaria Butterfield. And, and she, she speaks about, about Jesus like this. She says, When Jesus walked the earth, he wasn't afraid to touch hurting people. He drew people close. He met them empty and he left them full. And she calls Jesus' grace and mercy contagious. Contagious because once you've tasted the mercy and grace of Jesus, you just can't help but share and love others with it. Because you know how much you've been loved by Jesus. She goes on in her book to tell story after story how the the gospel is a housekeeper. By that she means she opens up her house to love others. Week by week, every mealtime, she has uh, 12 extra seats around her table for anyone who she wants to invite to a meal. She has three beds permanently made up in her house for anyone who might need a place to stay. Her husband and herself uh, budget intentionally. They make sacrifices. They don't go on big holidays because they want to keep opening up their house to intentionally care and love for others. And you know, the people that she welcomes in and shows this grace and love to isn't just her Christian family, isn't just her friends, the people that she feels comfortable with. They're people like her neighbour, Hank, who just got released from prison and has no place to stay. People like all the foster kids that she's housed under her roof. But then also, it's just anyone on her block who's willing to accept a meal. She knows how much she's been loved by Jesus. She knows the mercy of God. And so she wants to share it with others. This, that, that isn't a rule-keeping kind of Christianity, is it? That's not a tick-a-box kind of Christianity. So what's the right response to Jesus? Well, one writer says, says the Bible isn't a rule book. It's a love letter. Christians are not employees. We're children of God. The life we live isn't about our performance. It's about Jesus' performance for me. This quote captures the essence of the mercy of God. That Jesus doesn't demand us to live up to some kind of standard. Jesus has come to offer us mercy. He's come to bring us back into a relationship with God. He doesn't want to burden us down. He says, I've lived perfectly for you. I've died humbly humbly for you and I've risen triumphantly 
to offer you this mercy and grace. You don't have to do anything to receive it except come. What's the right response to Jesus? Well, have you accepted the mercy of God on offer? Stop living on the treadmill of rules and expectations, thinking you need to do something. Thinking you know you need to get yourself together before you can come to God. I know that's what I used to think before I was 15. I, I thought I had to work harder and harder until God chipped away at my heart and I finally realized the mercy and grace that was on offer in Jesus. And you know, when I finally gave my heart to Jesus, the weight of guilt, the weight of insecurity was rushed away as I finally came to rest in Jesus' death and resurrection for me. And now I have a hope of eternal rest with God. If you have received that mercy, if you have accepted Jesus' invitation, I want to say, keep resting in it. Don't move away from that. Keep knowing you're accepted because what Jesus has done. Be comforted by that truth every day. But then if you have accepted it, if you know the mercy of God, go and live it out. Share it with those around you. Show them the grace and mercy of God in the way that you live. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God of mercy. That you don't require us to come to you having it all together or having a followed a set of rules to know you. All you require is for us to come humbly to Jesus and accept him as our king. Father, we are sorry for the times we try to do it on our own or times we're burdened down by our own sense of guilt. This morning, we want to come to Jesus and accept his invitation. We don't want to do it on our own anymore. Change our hearts and affections to be people who live by grace and who show Jesus' love and grace to those around us. In his mighty name we pray. Amen.